0: welcome to the utah jazz podcast that's been getting all kinds of grief from its family for doing its first podcast now that the jazz are the first place in the west this is twos and threes uh we've been on a long hiatus my name's mark Uh, doug's with me doug this season has been wild i would i would say that your wife when she was giving us Crap about putting off doing the podcast was justified <laughs> in the sense that it's taken me a long time to sort of get myself uh, mentally ready to do this, but also life's been crazy. Life's been crazy for me. Life's been crazy for you. Um, kids' sports have taken over my life and uh, it's given me a chance to let the season marinate a little bit. And man, has a lot happened. And man, do we have a lot to talk about. But I guess, first off, how are you?
1: You know, Mark, I'm doing great. So, you know how a lot of times we make a joke about the fact that some of our listeners might be getting their only jazz content from this podcast. And if you're in a world where all you know about the jazz is coming from this podcast, you might be in a state of confusion. Um, yesterday, Mark, I was at probably one of your favorite activities that I'm sure you sadly missed, um, but it was the early Hinsey family extended Thanksgiving, um, Saturday oh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. It, it, I think this was like two weeks earlier than it usually is, but, anyways, I was talking with our cousin Heath, and he literally said he does not know what's going on in jazz world right now because his only jazz podcast, where he gets all of his content, um, has yet to release a podcast. So he's like, "Hey man, I'm like, I'm pretty sure the jazz are doing all right, but
0: I, I don't know." Well, here's um, the. So, so here's Heath, the short... we're here for you, man. Yeah, here's the short summary, Nothing's changed. The Jazz are still at the top of the West, and we're trying to win a championship, I guess. Uh, but a lot happened in between, and I've been wanting to talk about this with a friend from Twitter. We've gone back and forth a lot. He is um, just one of, I don't know, sometimes when I say OG, I think it sounds cheesy, but he he is the definition of a Jazz Twitter OG. His name's Chad Nielsen, plant-based Chad on Twitter, and uh, Chad,
2: it is so good to have you, man. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, and uh, I think I deserve... A little bit of credit for you guys finally doing this, because I would not stop uh, texting Mark. I have things to say, mostly because, of, you know, I think we ranting on Twitter is fun, but then it reaches its sort of apex where where we're not really conversating. Everybody's just sort of yelling at the straw men that they've created in their mind. And uh, and I get really tired of that really fast. So I've sort of I'm excited to be here to kind of have an actual discussion about some of the stuff with you guys yeah so i mean i feel like
0: i've been it's been hard on twitter too because i'm just i think i've tweeted like 15 variations of so the jazz are just good (laughs) so i think we're good and uh, i think there's there's a lot more to talk about than that um
1: best team in the best team in the league kind of stuff mark
0: yeah i'm just reusing all my own material chad before we jump into this like tell the the twos and threes heads a little bit about yourself
2: what's your jazz fandom origin story so the, the long story short of that is I used to be um I have an obsessive mind and um I uh back in 2008 I was so obsessed with the election that it became I mean it was like all I did all day was listen to uh read stuff about the election list stuff about the election and then when it finally ended and uh January 2009 came through I realized like I needed to take a break. from. I had some people in my life tell me maybe I needed to take like a month off of that. And I got in my car and didn't really know what to do. So I flipped it over to sports radio and listened to that for a month and sort of became obsessed with, uh, with basketball. So I sort of switched my obsession. I grew up like a lot of people like watching Sox and Malone, but I was never really that into sports then. Like my real like deep dive into sports started in my adulthood in the darren williams uh, carlos huser era so that was kind of like my first uh, fandom and that was when i joined twitter and i think twitter is probably the reason too that i was able to dive more into it you know we have kind of our own little alternate reality in jazz twitter um love them or hate them but it's a it's a special place <laughs> um and you know so i um was around I, I really am kind of an OG. I'm definitely old. You know, I've definitely been around since since those days. You know, I've survived. I, I think I have earned, like, I survived the Tyrone Corbin era uh, <laughs> T-shirt. And then, um, so, you know, when the Donovan Mitchell era started, I think we all just dived right back into it. Um, I ended up buying season tickets kind of on a whim. Like, on, like, the third game I watched with Donovan Mitchell, I was just like, I was like I'm buying into this guy right now. And um, have been, you know, just following them obsessively ever since. Yeah, man. Well, you you fit
0: nicely in the sandwich that is my. I, I am just old enough to have been very obsessed in the Stockton and Malone era. Although it was a whole different experience than now. I was like reading USA Today box scores and stuff if I missed a game or like talking to my dad about it and like trying to figure out what shoes everybody wore and stuff and had nobody you know to talk about it especially because we didn't live in Utah at the time and stuff so I was mostly I was just like the foible to everybody else's Michael Jordan fandom but Doug is solidly with you in the in the booze D Will era um we we fell in love with him when watching him in the Rocky Mountain review like years ago and uh yeah I don't know it's been an up and down ride and it's kind of crazy to go through these eras, and I feel like we are in maybe the fastest shifting one to date, and uh, it's ever-evolving. So that's that's what we're talking about today. Doug, you know, we normally like to do our first segment of what happened this week. Sometimes we joke that it's what happened this week with a lot of ease in it, because we yeah. haven't done a pod in a bit. Um, this is like, what the heck's going on now, I think, is, is what we want to talk about. Um, and I think, so to Cousin Heath and, and whoever else. Uh, maybe people who like Chad have been obsessively following election news for a little while and need a break from that. Again, uh, that, that's kind of a nice symmetry uh, with the world. I guess that, that that cycle and the need to get away from it never goes away, but the Jazz are good. Uh, right now, the Jazz are 10 and four. Uh, they're coming off a loss and we'll get more into that, but I would I, I described it yesterday as more fun than any loss I watched all of last season. Um, And I I think I'm like the last person to, to let go of last season. Um, So they're 10 and four right now, first place in the West, um, right near the top of the league overall and ahead of last year's pace (laughs) record wise. And we traded away the franchise cornerstones who both had a lot of years left on their contracts, who both netted the jazz, a lot of stuff. And that stuff has turned out to be awesome, but it's, when we first got it, it seemed like it was going to be helping us set up for the longer term future and tanking now. So I guess why in the world, why in the world are we so good? Like and that's segment one's uh, title. And I, I think we all came with stuff, but Chad, what, what do you think? Do you have anything
2: top of list? Yeah, I would say the, I mean, I think we can talk about the fun factor. And I think you guys probably, you know, and that was something that you mentioned, Mark, was one of your biggest reasons. And I, I, I wholeheartedly agree that when people are having fun, they do better at what they're doing, right? Like they've clearly been more into a flow state. But I, I actually think the number one reason is that the team has sort of adopted Jordan Clarkson's schwagger. Like Jordan Clarkson has become – and I fully believe that he is absolutely untouchable at this point. And I don't know, you know, I think he was probably one of the pieces they were the most reluctant to trade in the offseason. I think, you know, there were reports that they would have given him up for the right price. But I think at this point, we cannot we cannot lose Jordan Clarkson because the whole Jordan Clarkson um, mentality that we've all fallen in love with, right? Like the whole, uh, it's Jordan Clarkson time, sign Jordan Clarkson has permeated to this whole team. And we've seen it in, in a number of games now where you can see the real difference between this team and last team when they're up big in the third quarter, the other team starts to go on a run and we all would just get that sinking, sick feeling. You could, I mean, when you're choking, when your team is choking, you can feel it. You can literally like feel it in your throat. Like I can't breathe. We are choking it's in the, and you could see it in the body language for all guys. And this team just doesn't get rattled. Um, and I really think that is because, you know, they have that Jordan Clarkson attitude, like we got this, we could still do this, you know? And I, I want, I think probably the most poignant example of that was Laurie Markin and Anthony Davis, right? I don't remember which one of the Lakers games, I think it was the second Lakers game where Anthony Davis just punked the entire Jazz team in the first half, including Laurie Markin, And Laurie Markkinen just never really seemed to care that much. And he just kept doing his thing and came back and ended up, Hunking him back in the second half and I think that you know I mean we knew that the talent on the team last year was a contender talent it was a contender talent the year that they were the best team in the league and it was a contending talent team last year when they when the wheels fell off but they the mentality of that team I don't want to say it was weak but it was fragile it did not take a lot of adversity for that team to start to fall apart emotionally, and and all the talent in the world doesn't really matter if you you know if you're not uh, mentally tough. And this team just is mentally tough. I mean, they have been so far. I think today will be a really great example because last night was an embarrassing game. So, do they come out today and do they, are they moping about that, or do they come out today and they shake that off and they just you know bring that swagger back? Um will tell a lot about how sustainable that that attitude is.
1: I, I think that's an awesome point, Chad. I something that I wrote down to was Jordan Clarkson, but just just more to your point of like the feeling of choking last year. I can't now now this is bad podcasting on my part. I can't remember if it's like game one, game two, game three, but one of one of those games where we had a 20-point lead, and I think I texted Mark, we have a 20-point lead and we kept it, or something like that. It was like like the anxiety of getting up 20 points last year was was terrible. Like who would have thought who would have thought getting up 20 points would make you feel so bad? But um it's been pretty good so far this season.
0: Cognitive dissonance was like all time high last year too, because I'd be like, Well, it's the NBA now. Everybody gets up 20 points and loses 20. Minutes. And Quinn would go on like these rants, like trying to explain it, and I'd be like, no, he's got a point in there. And I was just in denial. You know, I mean, I think when I died, and you probably had it happen sooner, Chad, being a season ticket holder and being there for it, because it was when they were here, I I live in the Bay Area. So they came and played the Warriors toward the end of the season. And we had like awesome seats. And the Jazz were killing them for three and a half quarters. And everybody around me, was hearing about it. And I mean, it was nice. It was fun banter back and forth. But man, did the whole um section that I was sitting in feel really good the last five minutes of the <laughs> game. And I felt terrible. And it was just like, wow, that was was that the death of an era. And I kept trying to convince myself that it they'd resuscitate it. And now this team a bunch of times has blown leads. Like like you saying there, like Anthony Davis getting like punking them in the first half and then them bouncing back. Like there's been several games where they give up a big lead and you're just like I don't know. I feel like we're going to keep fighting. And man, when you said Jordan Clarkson, it just made me so happy because that that wasn't the top of my list. But I think it really should be. And it's funny that we'll talk about the offseason more a little bit later, I think. But so much of the stuff that was reported was kind of hard to believe, kind of hard to follow. And this is not a knock on. Tony, Sarah, Eric, Andy, all people that we, I think the three of us all love. And I think do an amazing job following the team, but it's like, you know, what's Danny really want to put out there? What's the team really trying to do? Like, but a consistent message was there's a veteran guard that they want to keep around. And it sort of became more clear that even though that like maybe also described Mike Conley, they were talking about Jordan Clarkson and, um, I, to throw one stat in there, just I think the swagger is the more important thing, but I think this is evident of it, it like him seeing a void and doing it. He's averaging almost five assists a game this year, like oh, four point nine. Sorry, uh, and his career average is two point five or six, and he that was right where he was last year, and he's just morphed into a facilitator. But then, like a couple of games ago, he was just throwing up threes from everywhere on the court and turning around and getting in the crowd, and yeah, he just he instills confidence. He instills fun to your point earlier, Chad, like he's the type, is he not the type of dude you'd want to work with? If Jordan Clarkson's on your team, he's fun. You know, he's going to do the job he's supposed to do. And every day you're like excited to hang out with him. Like,
2: I I don't know. Like he's, he's, he's awesome. I mean, this is going to be kind of going to sound like a bit of a bummer, but he's, he's kind of how uh, Donovan was those first couple of years. You know, I mean, he just, he was Donovan was that guy when he was out of the lineup, he was hyping up the crowd. He was hyping up the bench. He was hyping up the guy. I mean, before Donovan had went through the process that he went through and became kind of the person he was at the end, not knocking on Donovan, but he just had that same mentality in those first couple of years. It was electric to everybody. and, And Jordan Clarkson has that. You know, he just makes, his he's just so fun and he makes everybody around him feel like they can do it. He's also like the right age to be an NBA leader, right? Like it, he's the
0: right stage of his career. He is just, I mean, and I think maybe, maybe I'm being too broad about this, but I think a lot of us probably just wouldn't, couldn't see Jordan in that light before. Cause that's not the kind of career trajectory he's been on. He is such a free-flowing kind of personality easygoing or whatever that you don't think of him as that but i mean how silly is that right i mean he is he's a leader he's a leader clearly and his his sort of his vibe has affected the whole team what were are gonna say doug okay. i just cut you off right? and his
2: age is perfect to our timeline right to yeah. our timeline i say like anybody knows what our timeline is our timeline could be a lot shorter than people think but he's in that spot to continue to be a vet leader while still maintaining high level basketball for the next three to four years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say the same. I think Jordan's been awesome. I think his five assists a game is evidence that he's not just taking it as an opportunity where he's starting now. Well, I mean, we can't even call him six anymore. Like, do we call him one through five? I don't even know, but he's, he's just, he's doing one armed Donovan baseball passes. Um, So I love the like early years Donovan comparison. I also think I kind of put JC slash Mike. I, I feel like now um, people ask, I've gotten this question like multiple times, like who's who's now your favorite person on the jazz or who who gets you the most excited? And it's fun to think about like the other dudes, but still for me in my brain, um it's like it's Jordan and it's Mike. And Mike's not like lighting it up, scoring it wise, but he's averaging eight plus assists a game. I, I think just the two of them have been awesome. And um, we're probably gonna talk about it a little bit later that the feeling of maybe we're just inflating Mike and Jordan so that we could trade them for another first round pick. I, I kind of think that's out the window. Maybe not, who knows what Danny thinks, but I think the two of them together have kind of been the ultimate like staying power of what was good on the old jazz teams. Um, And so it's just, it's just been super fun.
2: I guess we're gonna talk about later, the exception of what do we think Danny's trying to do? But I want to just respond one thing that Mark said earlier about how, you know, you know, all the beat writers were sort of talking about keeping up appearances about how, no, we're not trading Donovan. We're still winning, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think a lot of that was just a coordinated effort to, we were in a high stakes negotiation, you know, I mean, you can sort of tell, I I think everybody just bought into like, yep, let's keep this narrative up and it worked. Right. I mean, and, and and for all the, if we, we cannot forget to be so grateful to Donovan because Donovan kept it up too. Donovan sold that Donovan wanted to stay. Donovan said everything that he had to do. Right. And and I've never seen NBA start doing this when they're trying to get out. Right. He actively helped the team get the package we got for it. 100%. Totally. Yeah. I want that, to, that's a great point. Let's
0: put a pin in that because as you just said that I I couldn't help, but just, think again of what that Knicks package would have been and how much better this Cavs one is and maybe that's why this team is I I don't know and I i you know have to give Danny a lot of credit for that um which is Mark choking on his words I'm (laughs) sure if phrase people will extract (laughs) and Travis Cox is gonna blast that everywhere but um yeah but Doug I remember when we first got Mike and you're like one of the things I want is for Mike and Donovan to be like like this, buddy duo, like that, we have like a sitcom about or something, or that just they'll be like best friends. Like, isn't Mike and Jordan like a way more fun one? Like, they're <laughs> just like yin and yang personality wise. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I love Donovan, but I just think that is. Uh, we were watching the game last night, and Kristen, and my wife said, Buller, Buller Jack said something, which, by the way, I think I, you said this to Chad, but that broadcast was, it was really hard to watch. But <laughs> Bojack said something about Mike being a steadying influence. And it wasn't like a time where we needed that we needed like energy. And and Kristen was like, sometimes Mike's a little too steadying of an influence. And I think I think that is right, like from a leadership perspective. And maybe last time last year, there wasn't somebody who had enough of a personality like Jordan, who was in a spot as empowered to, to be it. I mean, Jordan was the sixth man, Jordan had a defined role. Uh, so I think that's good. But you know, we
2: also had a coach last year who was the epitome of slow and steady. And, right. and you know it, it was effective over the course. I mean, he was a very winning coach here. But I think that the, we, by the end of his tenure here, the pitfalls of being too slow and steady kind of came to light. Yeah, Hardy, we're going to beat you in the
0: aggregate a, or whatever. And yeah, like yeah. over
2: time. Yeah, or it's, you know, I mean, and David Locke talks about this a lot. And I think it's kind of in some sense BS this idea that like, well, we can't just pull a guy when he's not playing well, then it'll mess with his confidence. Like, well, we can't be coddling the confidence of guys that aren't playing well for long stretches of a time either, you know? And I think last night was an example of where Mike just didn't have it last night. Colin did. And I was really, and I and I kind of tweeted this out like midway through the third quarter, like if we win this game, it will be because Colin Sexton. And it's really interesting. And we know what Quinn would have done. It's really interesting to see what what Will does. And when he brought Conley back in instead of Sexton, I was, I, was, I was disappointed, honestly. I think that if there was ever a time where it was clear what we needed yesterday to close that game was Sexton's energy and not Mike Conley's energy, um, it was last night. Yeah.
0: One random aside, and this maybe is a reason why we're doing so well, but it's more just an observation. Uh, Colin Sexton has like the thickest legs in the world. Have you seen his quads and calves? I've made this comment to my wife like four times, and she's like, why do you keep talking about this dude's legs? And then he went to the rim, he, he got fouled, he got up and was walking back. And I paused it in this one place where like his hamstring was just like, looked like Jamal Anderson from the Atlanta Falcons in the 90s. And uh, she was like, Oh, okay, never mind." <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that dude is built like a brick house. It's kind of like uh, Donovan, like when you saw him in person, the first time you're like, he looks like a running back or a linebacker. That guy's fun. I think it's better if you just leave me awkwardly hanging there talking about his legs. So, Doug, what's, well, what's the next thing? Well, I was going to really? say that any
2: anybody who's ever any man who's ever tried to uh, you know do any kind of serious bodybuilding knows that calves are one of the hardest things to build. So, I also I also appreciate uh, really well built calves when I see them in public.
1: That that was the perfect add on. And now I'm going to completely jump over to from calves to height. Something that I think is kind of funny, and and I I'm going to twist this into. Like being super positive, but I think it's funny that they, in the broadcast or in interviews or whatever, they always say we're going with the three, seven footer lineup. Um, and Larry, who's playing the small forward, I guess if there were a position um, is actually the only one of the three starters between him, Kelly Olenek and Jared Vanderbilt, who is seven feet tall on the roster. I, I think it's been pretty fun to see. And this is how he was played with the Cavs last year. Um, it's been fun to see five guys on the court that can dribble the ball and bring the ball up the court, but, but a a ton of more spacing. We obviously love Rudy Gobert on this podcast, but it's a totally different take on, on the big man this year for the jazz. And it's been fun to see. I mean, there's open driving lanes. Anyone can get to the basket that's, that's able to do so. And, and it's just been fun. Like with that, I think Walker Kessler has been, been awesome. I like right now, I think he's a solid bench player, but I see future potential within there. Um, but just, just how big the jazz are um, compared to solely relying on Rudy Gobert in the past couple of years um, has been really fun to see. And I think that's also helped, even though I would say Lowry and Kelly, especially aren't like, defensive juggernauts um and jared vanderbilt really isn't that tall but um the three of them together i think have been pretty awesome and just the collective effort um has been great there
0: yeah dude it's it it's crazy the versatility of the lineup and that i guess when this team was first put together and there were some people talking about like well if sexton can be whatever percent of donovan and yada yada can we do it and i was like well aren't we just going to have the same problem we had last year that Sexton and Mike or Sexton and uh Jordan are just going to be two small guards. And we learned that two small guards can't, can't do it. And it helps when there's three other dudes that are about seven feet tall. It is funny though, that you said that because they'd be like the three, seven footers. And I'm like, who are they, who are they talking about? It took me a little <laughs> while to realize the
2: that that Vanderbilt was the third one. Yeah, <laughs> Listen, our TV broadcast I... crew is not really Big on the details. So. Right.
1: I've got the roster open here. It's
0: six eight for Vanderbilt.
1: But six, we'll call him. Yeah. We'll yeah. call him seven yeah. feet. Why not?
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I, I mean I think that's yeah. It's it's so. Uh, this is one of the hardest things for me emotionally to to transition from last year to this year. Not and we're just bleeding into segment I don't care. But it's just that I love Rudy Gobert so much, and he's mm. been my favorite basketball player. But it's it's kind of fun to watch the freedom of a team. That's not so constrained around him. And look, a team constructed around Rudy Gobert two years ago is the best team in basketball. And I think the thing that happened more was that the failures and the shortcomings and the injuries like caught up with those guys to the point where like relationships that weren't great broke and they just didn't want to be together. And like Chad said, there was the talent um, to be a contender, but the other stuff just wasn't there. So I'm not, this isn't to say they're better off with these guys than Rudy, but it's a fun kind of basketball to watch and the versatility and like having five dudes out there who can all put the ball on the floor and shoot threes and guard hard. I mean, to your point, Doug, those, those dudes, Olenek and Laurie, and last night was good evidence. Sometimes they're going to give a, give it up, but they, they, they play hard. They guard hard.
2: Yeah, I heard somebody say that like one of the things that Will Hardy emphasized in the off season was conditioning. Like, it just really brought them to a level of conditioning that other teams are not at this early in the season. And I think that's, uh, I mean, evident in, in a lot of uh, especially end of game situations. You know, where they're still playing hard because they still have some juice in the tank, and other teams are starting to slow down.
0: Yeah, and I love that that reporting opened up the door for more Trey, Trey Lyle's jokes about three-hour hours three hour practices, which I saw, which is good. Um, all right, well, let me give give you, there's one other one, and then I think maybe, like, let's, maybe I'll circle back to see if we had one that we we missed before we go to the segment, two, because I have one other one that I really want to say, but at the top of my list, just every time I watch this season that's jumped out to me is the team rebounding, and I'm going to bleed in on then on the off-ball movement. And I think these bear themselves out in, in stats a little bit. And it's, we're actually like not a better, at least statistically markedly. I found like the team ranks, this team ranks site and compared last year to this year, we're not like that much better of a rebounding team this year than last year. It's just that last year it was like two guys (laughs) that did all the rebounding. It was like Rudy who led the league and then like Royce and Hassan, if he was in and, and now we, just crash the glass. It's five guys. It's a ton of offensive rebounds. This is another thing that Chris, like, always, like last year, she'd be like, nobody's trying to rebound. And it's stark. And where that does bear itself out in is we are like, I think eighth in the amount of possessions we get in a game. And last year we were like 24th. And I think that's the thing. Cause we're the second scoring offense. It's not as efficient as last year. We don't have everything about last year. And I've kind of wanted to shy away from stats a little bit because I felt like last year was always like, or the last few years, it's like, explain the jazz and statistical efficiency and advanced stats and stuff. And this has just been like, you watch it and you're like, Oh damn, that's five dudes flying around the court all the time, getting offensive rebounds, extending the possessions. And a few games I think we've won literally just cause like one of those Lakers games. I mean, they're awful, but we had like 18 more field goal attempts than they did because um, we're crashing the offensive boards. And then the way the ball, the off ball movement plays itself out statistically is assists. We were the, we were last in the league last year in assists. And now we're like fourth or something. So um, those things, it's like, I sort of get that as you, you have an elite, one-on-one scorer like you're gonna have less assists and if you do pick and roll that it ends in the guy with the ball like i mean we had screen assists, so all this stuff but it's it's fun to watch anyways so it's part of my answer for why they're good in spite of maybe a, a not as high of top end talent but also just why they're fun those two things that they, they, they rebound and they move on offense
2: and it's been fun to watch, and I and I mean this in not a trolling way. I genuinely feel a lot of sympathy and pity for the people who cannot let themselves enjoy it because it's wrecking their dream, their Wemba their uh, Wemby dreams. Like which I understand. I came into the season like tank for Wemby. Let's do it. I mean, watching highlights of him, I thought it was I was prepared to spend a lot of nights watching highlights of him to comfort me after watching ugly basketball. But uh, It's been so much fun if you just if you just take a step back and say, you know, wherever this ends up, I might as well enjoy the ride. Oh, my God. That game against the the Lakers on Monday was one of the most fun basketball games I've ever watched. It was just fun. And it's like. People forget that's the point of being a fan of sports like my life isn't going to be fundamentally any different if the Jazz win a championship in my lifetime or not. Like, I really want that as much as anybody, but it's not going to change things. But it brings me joy on so many nights throughout the regular season. And at the end of the, the year, like, I think that matters more.
0: Yeah, it's like living for a vacation or enjoying like your ordinary life or something, you right. know? And it's or a vacation for... that, that maybe never comes. <laughs>
2: right. <then> it comes <laughs> like... or living for retirement, right? Yeah. Like yeah, being so true. obsessed with a championship sometimes. It's like all it's like what, we're gonna get a championship one day, God willing. And a lot of people are gonna be like, I'm still not happy, you know? Like there's so many people <laughs> that have just put their entire like sports yeah. fandom and their sports, like emotional energy into this one accomplishment is and they're just chasing it and i'm telling you if they catch it it's going to be so much less satisfying than if they just enjoy the ride and let what comes come i mean we're going to party we're going to party hard when it happens it's yeah. be yeah. insane It'll i won't be go to work retirement. for months.
0: uh but <laughs> yeah Cold is
2: going to be lit in downtown salt lake city okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> but like living in austerity for retirement is a good that that's no, my I, new favorite analogy I, for that. yeah i
1: I love that point. So many of my friends are like, oh, I'm so tired of mediocre basketball over the past couple of years. And I'm like, you're, you're not in the day to day. You're not, you're not taking enjoyment from the wins along the way, from the fun things that you get to see the team progress on and different stuff like that. If you're calling it mediocre, you're, you're just looking at the final playoff statistics and, and finishing there. But yeah there's so much to... i just
2: feel bad for you i mean i just I genuinely have sympathy for those of you who just can't let yourselves have fun like i'm so sorry
0: I'm yeah it's a, it's a balancing thing laugh. like i said like taking the risk and making moves that you think are going to get you a championship yeah but like to not i mean oh pains me to say it again but you know danny didn't just tank he, he got no. good players and he got a good roster and uh He did not take, maybe this, maybe this is a good segue to that section. It's a segue. I just has
2: not been taking. And maybe
0: this, you're right. Let's, let's segue in. And um, if we have other reasons why we think they're doing good, I think they can be worked in because my, my chief one that I wanted to say is just Larry Markinen's actually way, way better than I thought he was. Um, And, and maybe, maybe that's a, a reason why I feel okay about it, about the current state of things too. Um, but let's do that. We're we're shifting full into segment two. And let's talk about everything that's happened. Because I think I entered the current phase that I'm in with this, similar to that Lakers game. That Lakers game was so fun. But for me, it was like the Clippers game before. And I think I was a little later than others. But I was watching that Clippers game, and I was just like, oh, we're good. <laughs> this is a, We're playing a team, and yeah, the Clippers – are the weirdest regular season team ever. It annoys me when people, especially smart people that I like really like, like Zach Lowe, like pick them to win the championship. I'm like, that's, what are you doing? Like, how do you, um, they might, but like, how do you pick them? But nonetheless, they had some assembly of their roster with Paul George playing and other players on paper preseason. They should have run the jazz. And it was one of those back and forth things. And are just machine of dudes moving and plugging new guys in and Colin Sexton's coming off the bench and Larry Markkinen doesn't stop and we just beat him and it didn't look fluky it just like oh like yeah the better team won and ever since and I've expected them to win every game pretty much yeah. like when we're in it um, I'm highly we... annoyed
2: with them honestly because I was really looking forward to a year of not being super emotionally invested and uh, <laughs> I'm super emotionally invested I was so pissed off last night yeah, oh, I mean, how, how did we... Okay, so
0: first off, I it does bother me still. And I think, Chad, you're on a similar page with me, and I know Doug is, but it still bothers me when people say this is the most fun team we've had in a million years or something. Like, the oh amnesia God. for two years ago is insane because that was pure, unadulterated fun, and it was fun until halfway through the Clipper series. And anybody who tells me otherwise yeah, doesn't... is choosing to remember it differently and rewriting history and wanting to see things in Donovan that weren't there or whatever or Rudy I mean that season was fun and it was so fun and I it was like it had built to that with like we'd seen so many of those guys developing that I just got so emotionally attached to the point that even last night watching the Wizards I'm like oh man I remember when there were rumors that we would have traded Joe for Kuz, and I, I was just like, I love Kyle Kuzma you, uh, as a you, and I didn't want that to happen. And now, what if that would happen? Anyways, I was just like so in on that team that it's been like a long, messy break breakup or end of the relationship or whatever to get to where we are now. But talk me through how your thought process on this, Chad. Can you do that kind of from like where you were last year, or at what point you sort of felt like it made sense to move on, and how it's evolved.
2: Yeah, I will say, um, I think that the writing was on the wall earlier in the season, but I I I got to a point of, I got all the way through the grieving process to full-on acceptance by March. By, by March, I knew this was it. This was done. It was, it was like, and I'm, and I, you know, I, I'm terrible at searching my old tweets, so I never able to like pull up the receipts, but like they're there all throughout March, me saying, this is over. And you know, and again, I, I I think that a lot of people were in were screaming, and a lot of people were in denial. And I mean, people people like to kind of go to the, each end of the extreme, but and it has just become clear that these guys didn't want to play together anymore. And and I know that there's this there's this narrative of like, well, I go to work with people I don't like, I just job do my job. It's like, yeah, okay, Hey, if you work every day with people you hate, like if not just like oh I I love working, but you know that. Sally and accounting always drives me nuts a couple of times a week. But I mean, if like the person who is your like core team member and you just don't like them and you hate going to work every day to work with them, get a new job. Like, do not let capitalism convince you that's a way to live your life. Get a new job. But second off, even if it is a job and they were doing their job, I mean, they were they were bad last year. They were just ugly and depressing and they didn't get it done. But they still were a good basket team right they did their job and that's what that was the the ceiling on doing your job as opposed to buying in emotionally to having fun to loving showing to loving what you're doing nobody's winning a championship hating what they're doing and everybody loves to talk about Kobe and Shaq right Kobe and Shaq like hated each other and they won uh, two championships right uh, three. Right. Oh, I see again there you go my my knowledge of basketball before the Darren Don't Williams fight. era is, <laughs> is a little is a little shady but Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal were able to make to hate each other and win championships Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal were able to hate each other and win championships and that makes you think that everybody should Kobe <laughs> freaking Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal Right. That is what is that is a classic example of the exception that proves the rule. Right? The teams that win basketball games and win championships are having a good time. They like working with each other. And maybe they don't always like each other, maybe they don't hang out after school, but they respect each other on the court. And the jazz had stopped respecting each other and they had stopped mm-hmm. trusting each other. And I honestly think, and this is gonna make me unpopular in a lot of very popular so- circles here, but the unsalvageable comment. That was made by some anonymous media member. I think that was the point that it broke. And I think that we they were able to make it work for a while. But just like kind of any relationship that ends, like the seeds of it were there, you know? And I know we love to dunk on that, but there was never that there was never that cohesiveness after that. There was never that feeling that we had those first couple of years. Like these people love freaking what they're doing and they love doing with each other and they just didn't trust each other right and you have to be able to trust everybody on your team to win a championship and so for me I think that like we can argue forever about what we wanted and whether we were sick of Rudy whether Rudy could win whether Donovan could win whether it was a good idea to move on blah 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 blah. what Danny wanted what Ryan Smith wanted what the fan base wanted at the end of the day Donovan did not want to be on that team And I don't know how many other people didn't either, but Donovan did not want to be there anymore. Donovan was no longer bought in. And that, you know, I'm a hundred, I will, you cannot convince me anything otherwise. Obviously, I don't have like some coordinated proof of that, but it was just obvious to me. And from that moment on, I knew they were never, they, they, they were done we can't make people stay together that don't want we can't make them like each other you know we and so what i love about what danny Ainge did and again i know i've used the analogy a lot of like divorce but i've been through a divorce and i've been through relationships that have ended since then and that long period of like denial and dragging it on and, and wanting to hold on to something because it once worked i thought that's what we were in for i was i was ready for that i knew that ryan smith his he was he was you know all the reports were that ryan smith was a donovan guy and i had this my biggest fear was that he was going to do what so many franchises have done they were just going to let their star dictate their roster moves that stars doing so was going to screw the team up and then that star was going to leave anybody anyway, right like the lebron james move right like what lebron james does to every single franchise he goes to and so when they brought in danny and danny said nope we are moving on quickly. We are not going to sit in denial. We're we are going to accept what I see, and we're gonna and we're going to cut the cord here. We're not going to do a bunch of don roster moves to try to keep Donovan happy. Um, I like I I've just had so much optimism from the, the the place that I was afraid of. Right, like that was really the worst case scenario I saw for the Jazz is that they keep trying to keep Donovan happy for another couple of years at any cost. And there's no example ever of a team actually doing so, right? Like with LeBron, they were able to win a championship in Cleveland by doing so. But at the then as soon as he left, absolute dumpster fire left in his wake, right? And so I just think that, I just think it's amazing. I think it's great. And whether Danny is tanking or not, no, I think what Danny's doing is what smart business people do, right? There's this, tendency to just be like we're gonna it's like poker like i'm all in or i'm folding he is he has diversified his portfolio he had made a bunch of moves that put him in a position where he had options he made a bunch of moves that put him in a position where we might we i'm bringing in talent i'm going to try to put together a team that can win this year but i'm not selling out for it i'm also acquiring assets for the future but i'm not selling out for that either right there were so many moves that he could have made if he was really gutting this roster that just didn't So what Danny's doing, I think, is saying, I'm going to bring in guys, I'm going to bring in a good team, I'm going to bring in these options, and then I'm going to see what happens. and I'm going to put myself in a position where I can make, I can have options of which direction to go over the next couple of years. And that's what you want to do. You don't want somebody to just pick one single path and then balls to the wall, go for it and ignore everything that goes along the way, right? You want somebody that comes in, gives themselves wiggle room and gives themselves outs and gives themselves different directions to go as things develop. And I think that's what Danny's done. And so I just think there's so much reason to be optimistic right now as a jazz fan. I want to hear Mark's response. To this. <laughs> uh, I do no, I, no, I mean, I mean, that the was last day
1: he got.
0: That was a, a beautiful timeline. I listen. I, so there are things there that I've, I think a a little differently Um, in the sense that I think it's, it's, it's like the, your unsalvageable point is super fair. I would argue, and I guess I have argued. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because we got to the same end that that team after was cohesive and that they had a chance to do it and they were playing together and it, it overcame the, like, not liking your coworkers. I think at the same time, like, I think I'm just quibbling with nuance there because once the once the Clipper series happened, it reopened whatever wound was there before. And I guess I sort of believe that wound could have been healed and could have been built on. And then my whole thing that I was sort of hanging on to last year, I wouldn't have argued with anybody that they looked like they didn't like each other and that they weren't playing together and everything you said in March. My my naive hope maybe was that. People are dynamic, situations are dynamic, things can change, and they just needed some good shit to happen. Um, and and momentum would come. And every time there started to be that, they they either kicked themselves in the face or somebody else did and they folded again. And all the way to the point where, you know, that game four or whatever. Game four, or, man. I was and, gonna bring that And then too. the Maverick series where I just thought this is a galvanizing moment. Um we're, we're going to like they Rudy Donovan, they're together. They just connected. They won. This is what they need. And then they just came out flat again, the next game. And maybe that's where I thought it really was broken at the same time. There's always a little part of me. That's like a boy on Bogdanovich three goes in. They somehow get out of that series. And I've, i I think about this interview that Quinn had after the season where he's just like, we always were like, it felt like we were this close to getting that like spark back And it's hard for me to describe what that spark was the year before, but it was the thing that made them special that they didn't have the other year. And it, it manifested itself in the best team passing I can ever remember seeing and spacing and elite shooting and just of a vibe that also, again, kind of overtook teams and it just wasn't there last year and it never came back. And I mean, all the moves happened this summer. I just, it was hard for me to grapple with, a star like Donovan Mitchell that we had and not trying to make it work. And I think in hindsight, like you said, how do you argue with anything that they did? Because there was a real risk that we catered to him and then he goes anyways. And who could blame him? Like he's from a different place. Uh, There's we don't need to get into all the reasons why he was made to not feel welcome sometimes in Utah and stuff we've talked about it in the past, but I just sort of thought you, it's an institutional failing to not try to make it better. And, oh, I mean, it, again, hard, hard to argue with the results. My kind of timeline was then the season started and everybody's like, this is so fun. And I'm like, still kind of mourning what was, and then I'm watching and I'm like, well, this is fun, but I hear smart people saying like, Hey, we're in a win-win scenario. Either think these guys play better and we do better, or these guys play better and increases their increases their draft value. And I'm like, well, I can't, I can't buy in if I think like Jordan playing well means Jordan's gonna go. And um oh, I did want to give one shout-out to Riley Geisman, who's a who we're big fans of, who wrote this amazing article in, in the offseason before Donovan was traded about how this was like a juncture of his life where he could decide to go one way or another and like how his career would develop and stuff. And I remember just thinking like, man, I want to see that play out on my team, but it turns out I'm happy to see it play out somewhere else. Like he's, he's evolved his game and it it might not have happened here. Um, But it was like finally in like that Clippers game, I think, where I was just like this, these guys play the kind of way I like to watch play. They're playing for each other. Um, The, the coach, they're bought into him. Like, I actually do like it better when the team likes each other. It makes it more fun. It's why we all liked Ricky Rubio. And it's why we all liked um, that team. And it's like, why am I fighting this thing that I, everything like to prove a point, like uh, whatever, like uh, it's a fun team. And I just kind of bought in at that point. And I think probably the franchise, and I should just believe what's coming out of it a little more, bought in sooner than me. And I don't think that means that all these guys are gonna be on the roster by the end of the season. This is a this is again where like me and Danny Ainge are gonna always have a long term difficult relationship is I'm never gonna trust him to not break it up if he thinks it's gonna be for the better and maybe I'm gonna disagree with that. But it's really hard to argue with how it's all shaken out and they're fun and I'm I'm enjoying it.
2: Yeah, I um I Danny better not come for for Clarkson. That's all I'm saying. I'm a big Danny Ains fan now, but he touches Clarkson and, and he's going to be dead to me.
0: Yeah. My own, my one Twitter receipt is when we signed Danny and there was an interview. It's like, he's going to make the decisions that we haven't been willing to. And I just said, everybody who's all happy about this, he's going to trade Rudy Gobert. And he did. And uh, and I did not think he would get the kind of haul that he got for him. And I'm still a believer that they can work things out in Minnesota. Their vibes aren't, aren't great either, but I think they're going to be, I think they could be fine and I hope they are for his sake, but. I mean he put him in a position too like like Donovan where he he was set up in something that I think he was happy about
2: and uh yeah by the way the point the point that everybody should have accepted it was over was when we traded Royce there was no way we were trading way Donovan's best friend and not blowing it up
1: yeah there was a ton of I mean Royce we didn't resign Eric we uh we dropped um Shoot, now I'm even forgetting his name. He played at Florida State, guard, backup. Trent Anyone? Forrest. Trent Forrest, help me out. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I was probably on a similar timeline of denial. I think I, I accepted it a little bit quicker than Mark did. For me, it was uh, a, at, at the very first game of the season, opening night. I was I was not excited. I was like, God, oh, this is so dumb. And like, and and the Broncos suck. You know, like it was all just negativity. Utah State, I'm a big Utah State guy there. They were in the in the depths. Um, and honestly, it was after game one, and I didn't even, I maybe listened to the end of the first quarter, So or the fourth quarter. So this is my um, my confession there. But I was like, man, okay, wait, maybe this is actually fun. Um, and I guess going through those same stages of like, okay, well, like Mark said, like we're good, but or, or maybe we're just kind of like playing with house money and we're going to trade these guys anyways. Now to where I think we're at a point where we have so many draft picks, which like kudos to Danny. Um, we have so many draft picks that we're in a place where uh, like, we're definitely not going to get the number one pick. That's I'm going to, this is my, um, as this is our first podcast, this is my early season Doug hot take. We're not going to get Victor. But I think we have the leverage, even with just our three first round picks this year, that we could trade up, maybe maybe not get the two pick, but we could trade up and get almost anyone that the Jazz want in the draft. And I also think we're at a place where, say we get closer to the trade deadline, and it looks like we're a piece away from doing something special, I'm not saying this is going to be a championship team or anything like that, but something special into the playoffs. I think we have the leverage as well to trade for that other piece too so i think um man i'm i'm just excited for the jazz season i think it's a lot of fun basketball something that i was going to say uh otherwise in the in the first segment was that there's just so many dudes right now that can that can finish a game when they're when they're on and i think to your point chad um where it would have been fun to see colin finish it out over mike i i felt like early in the season early we're still early in the season but earlier it was the fun thing to say was oh it was a new finishing lineup um but man we've seen kelly we've seen larry we've seen mike jordan malik um colin who hasn't who hasn't finished a game for us and done something really special you know that's in like the eight to nine man rotation um i don't know i think there's there's just so much to this team and there is such a flip and in what we can do, I would be, I would be baffled if we made a tanking move because I don't. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, in my brain, um, yeah,
2: I mean, Unless we start losing, but I, I yeah. agree with you. There's, we're not going to get to a point where we're still doing well, and then Danny, I just think there's zero possibility that we get to some point where we're still playing well, and Danny makes a move solely to make us play worse.
1: Right. So that's, that's my, that's my, that's me spilling my heart to you, Mark, so that you can feel a little bit more comfortable. Is that? A-
0: oh, I, I do. It's kind of funny. Cause part of my hesitancy with moving on from the prior core was that I feel like we're in a historic era of parody in the NBA and it just felt like it was out there for us. If, if you had enough talent and that parody is sort of made it so that we could do this kind of a rebuild too, <laughs> where it's like, now it's like looking around the team. I mean, besides the bucks who just do look awesome and probably are just the best team. And Giannis probably is the best player. Um, I I still think like the warriors have a higher end talent than most, but they're under 500. I mean, the whole, the nuggets were supposed to be great. The Clippers were supposed to be great. I, I don't know. I mean, that there's sort of that where it's like we could we could make a run in the playoffs with this
2: roster it feels like and which is kind of wild um I, uh, my question to you is what what team is threatening to change that parity anytime soon i mean i look around at like the teams that you know the, the, the team i mean obviously golden state right at first it was the lebron big three and then golden state for a long time like just made it feel like the, the nba was sort of this like it was a bunch of like different paths to the same inevitable outcome but i don't see any team building that like unbeatable dynasty right now right like the golden states surprisingly passed what i think the point of dominance you know that anybody thought when they won last year but they won last year right that was golden yeah, State yeah. i tend to stop paying as much attention when the jazz are out too i'll be honest but but I think there's not, you know, like you look at the, like Phoenix, man, Phoenix for a minute looked like they were going to be some scary. But like Chris Paul is on, on, you know, he's at the end of his, his sort of um, career. And 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 while I think Devin Booker, and I have to admit, is become absolutely one of the best players in the NBA, you know, him and Aiton's chemistry never materialized into some kind of dominant thing. There's just, there's not really anybody out there right now that's on the cusp of breaking this parody anytime soon. No, I'm with you. I mean, like, I think, like,
0: the Cavs are an interesting example because they're probably one of the team that has the most, like, high upside young guys built for the future, but not in a way that makes you feel like, I don't think Evan Mobley is going to become Shaq, you know? And, like, you think, like, the best players maybe right now, like Giannis, Luka Doncic, uh, Nikola Jokic, (laughs) those guys are all on teams that are built, like, to be – it's sort of just the way the the league is now where it's like – they there's like an awesome player and then like guys that compliment them or teams like the jazz, maybe that are just solid players up and down the roster. It's like the teams you hear about making moves. Like I don't, there's no series of five moves that are going to make the Lakers a contender in my opinion. So it's like, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't I'm with you. <laughs> Definitely I, I not don't, the Lakers. <laughs> I don't, I don't see this super team, emerging it felt like the Nets were the last one two years ago and then they famously didn't even like they totally have fallen apart um when when they first got um you know Harden and Kyrie with Katie so yeah I mean it no the, the Jazz are in a very good place having assets and having dudes that make sense I mean this is how much I've come around Doug I I thought I did not think I could get on board with Kelly Olynyk, and the fact that yeah. we traded Boyan Bogdanovich one of my favorite jazz players ever for him and guess what I watch it and I'm like man it's kind of fun all the stuff that Kelly Olynyk can do like yeah and he's goofy looking and he moves weird and it's kind of effective and it's just like he does some dumb stuff on. he defense. does a lot no, of I, dumb I stuff I still have
2: not come by I, I He's the, probably the player that I would be the, the least upset if we traded for picks or assets or anything. At all this team. Yeah. But that, he's that, also kind of about... critical to what we're doing right now, which is nice. Yeah. Can we talk for like 30 seconds about Malik Beasley? Like where did he come from? Like he has just become like almost like a Kyle Korver type. Like just, he just comes in periodically and just, shoots daggers and then goes and sits back down like i he's like feels like he's like a like an
0: actor who like all of a sudden is like in a, like this important role in like my favorite show and i'm like where have you been forever like malik beasley he's like his shot looks great well, i'm big on shooting for him in this he gets it off quick he makes it from everywhere he looks like a prototypical three and d guy athlete wise he's kind of classically handsome i mean he's like a he's like an upgraded Royce <laughs> in like a lot of ways it almost <laughs> it feels like, like <laughs> an upgraded Royce and I'm like where did this dude come from yeah I'm I'm with you he's but to me and I, I do need to get this out there because it's been it's been like my biggest failing joke that I think only three people on Twitter get but if you watch the Wheel of Time Larry Markin looks exactly like that dude and I said to Kristen on the couch last night I was like oh my god Lar- right. I was like, it's amazing the season Lauren Market is having after the series, after the season he just had on Wheel of Time, and she she laughed because he looks exactly like that guy, and um the fact that he's like got a doppelganger like that, and Will Hardy looks so much to me like Jack Quaid, um Dennis Quaid's son or whatever who's in <laughs> The Boys, uh is crazy, and uh, and I'll just say like that is the the one other I mean I've alluded to it a couple times, but. Laurie Markkinen, um is so much more versatile offensively and defensively than I thought. I, I just seeing him guard like oh, yeah. George and, and, and hold up. And then he just, he's a, he's, he's a three-level scorer, Doug. How many of those have we had lately? I mean, we talk like he, he's and fun I, to watch.
1: One thing and this and Mark, you're probably going
0: to like this, not like this
1: comp and Chad, I, I don't know how you're going to feel about it he like and he kind of moves like the way he moves and i don't want to i hate the comparison just because it's like two white dudes but he moves like a taller version of gordon hayward Is am i wrong with that like the way that he dunks he gets a little
0: upright in his back in a similar way he he,
1: he, like their movements i don't know that i it was just like it feels like something that I had seen before. And it was like, I, "This feels I, like
0: it. I don't know. There's something. So I jokingly said this, uh, but I sort of kind of believe it. I was trying to think of the hybrid and it, to me, it's like Dirk and T-Mac and like yeah, right. yeah, Kenneth, Kenneth Fareed's offensive rebounding.
2: Yeah. Uh, I don't but he's know. Str- he's, he's strong inside. I mean, yeah, he's, he's you know, last night it was interesting watching the, the wizards game. Um, and By the way, why we have to have at least some segment on this broadcast where we talk about some of the silly stuff that the, the broadcast – or on this podcast, we talk about some of the silly stuff the broadcast says. Because there was a point last night where I think it was Laurie Markkinen went and shot a mid-range jumper that went in, and and one of the people said, that's what we needed, a mid-range jumper, like with absolutely zero irony. Um, I think that watching him and um, the other uh, dude that they – have who's that tall guy on – Oh my God, his name escapes me. Chris Debs. Chris Debs, yeah. Watching him and Porzingis. That was interesting. Porzing- like, he is kind of like a little bit of Porzingis on the outside, but he goes in in a way that Porzingis doesn't have any interest in doing, you know? And I, by the way, forgot that Por- 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 Porzingis was still playing until last night. So, <laughs> that he, was he did well. Yeah. yeah, he 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 made me remember. But like, that was he, like a prime. He really does have that like versatility to his game where he he does go inside, and it's not just that he's not afraid to go inside. He's he's talented when he goes inside. When he goes inside, it's effective. When he's outside, it's effective. He and he's defensive. Like he really is so well rounded.
1: Man, some of his some of his dunks have been nuts. Like he he just goes up and he gets it. There was I mm-hmm. I forget which game it was it was when the past four games, but he went up and now nah, I'm trying to think, well, he went up and dug it on, on someone and they called it a charge, but the, cause they were outside in the restricted area, but someone tweeted that if they make the dunk, then it shouldn't count as a charge. And it was just like, he just gets up and he finishes so strong. It's just, it's awesome. It's so the funny thing, um, thinking about like what he did in Muro basket and thinking about this whole, like, Flip to, oh, wait, like the Jazz are good and this is going to be fun, was just just watching him play and seeing him continue what he did in Eurobasket. It was like, oh, wait, Mark, like we, we, we traded our two cornerstones, but actually we got some good dudes back. Like it was a, are we going to be, I think I had read so much into Zach Lowe saying this was going to be the most unwatchable team. There's not a single Jazz game on, national media and i was just like this is just gonna suck this is gonna be full a full year of of suck and it was like wait these are we actually got some dudes
2: um and we haven't even talked about kessler or tht this entire podcast
1: i, I slipped That's in there one, a one kessler about. comment earlier
2: yeah, I mean, we haven't really talked about him and like the sense of like, that guy doesn't play like a rookie. Like, it's not just that he has like some skill sets, like he already has like a basketball intelligence, maturity, whatever you want to call it, that he does not play like a rookie. It's kind of crazy to think that we have him as a rookie. Yep, He's
0: so composed and THT won me over. I had a hard time with him just because of a couple of years of Lakers fans trying to make him seem like he was a player that I didn't think he was. But when him and
2: Vanderbilt showed up. The Caruso effect. We actually actually hate and doubt a really good player just because the Lakers fans are so annoying about it i yeah. the, I mean
0: when it was kyle kuzma it was the hardest thing for me ever i was like wait a second i like kyle kuzma <laughs> um but no yeah I, when he and vanderbilt showed up for halloween as chris rock and ice cube from friday and it just was like perfect costumes if you haven't seen this you should look at it but he's he i mean the fact that he looks like he just ate what i just ate right before every game but then yeah. he comes out and like moves the way he does his arms are forever long he's he's fun yeah. his,
1: his dunk on in the first lakers game man that, that was nuts
0: all right. Well, we, we have, we have exceeded um, our time goal as, as anticipated. So I think unless if like either of you had like a social media thing you really wanted to share, um, maybe we can just, could had just one quick closing uh, thought. final thought. Yeah. Closing thought for everybody.
2: Um, I do agree with you that it was not terminal until the Clipper series, but I think it was like a repeated wound. It was getting harder and harder to heal. And it started, it started in the bubble, you know, the, the, the that whole, like, sort of like choke, original choke job was in the bubble and the entire downfall of that team started that moment that donovan mitchell got that eight second call from that point on it has been like we have been cursed but it wasn't i think the clipper series was when it was terminal like after the Clippers series there was no there was i think that was the point where it was beyond repair It's hard to argue. <laughs> yeah, and then, there,
0: there needed to be some kind of a medical miracle that would change it, and I probably they needed to make a change, a more significant change to the roster than adding Rudy Gay in the off season, and uh, and they didn't. Um, and yeah, but it's it's turned around. I don't know. It's that's uh, fun. Doug, what do you you have a final thought?
1: Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It just it goes back to the Clippers series. It goes back to the bubble. I Even like. Um, if any jazz fans out there haven't watched like the Donovan Mitchell um, interview with JJ Redick, um, that's a solid hour twenty-five of your time. Um, but I guess in the end, um, the tides are turning, the sails are pointed a new direction, um, and then this is I'm, this is going to be a funner season than than we anticipated. So if if you're hanging on there um the twos and threes folks that are out there welcome to season four twos and threes um but uh this is this is gonna be fun there's a lot of cool stuff i i mean we've got the all-star game coming up this year i think we could talk about that in a future podcast but there's um just so much fun so many fun um danny ange memes of like him looking super disgruntled at how awesome the Jazz are doing so just just enjoy the ride. World, Worldwide
0: yes. Wob has been re- really fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, always fun. <laughs> Yeah, Doug, the, uh, we'll put up in on the All-Star thing because we'll talk about that uh, next time, I think. But I think, uh, yeah, I want to end it where Chad started it, which is, like, if we had our social media segment, I was just going to do, Tiffany Don had tweeted, like, JC is a top three all-time fun jazz fan or jazz player. Like, who are your other two? And I don't, like, my response was, I don't know who the other two are yet off the top of my head, but um, they're second and third. And let's just <clears> embrace that this is the Jordan Clarkson era. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in on that. I'm in on that uh, 110%. So he's been really fun. Uh, it's a fun season so far. May we all have a measure of that swagger. And uh, Chad, thanks for coming on, man. This was really fun. Thanks for uh, for not letting me let this die and for, for getting this on and uh, helping us kick off the season.
2: Well, I appreciate you guys. I've, I've had a lot of stuff I want to say, you know, but I haven't ever really had the uh, put in the hard work to put the podcast together. So thank you guys for doing that and, uh, and having me on. And I'll never forget, Jordan Clarkson went to an Ice Cube concert and was invited up on stage. <laughs> OK, he is objectively cooler than anybody we ever any of us or anybody will know will ever be.
1: That, that that is a great point, Chad. Chad, I have to say you've been awesome on the podcast. Um, very well spoken. Your points have been immaculate. great memory uh, of what's gone on. And i I have to say the just hearing Mark say this is the Jordan Clarkson era is so fun for me because I can think of the exact moment I can I can I remember where I was standing, what cell phone I was holding when I told Mark that we traded for Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> and it is just wild. Jordan Clarkson, something that Mark has always said has been fun about Donovan is that we just have someone that's cool. You know, like going back to Blue Edwards was cool on the jazz. Jordan Clarkson, man, there's no one that's cooler than Jordan Clarkson.
0: Yeah. And to be fair, for anybody who doesn't remember the various times this has come up, I was I was not excited about that to start. And I did not, I thought you were punking me. I thought it was a joke. Uh, Jordan Clarkson has proved me wrong so fast though. I've never come around on a player faster than that uh, because he's the easiest one too. Uh, Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. This is twos and threes uh, season four. Let's go. Boom. Thanks guys. Thanks man.
1: Thank you, Chad.